When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 18 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we discuss big news and rumors about European soccer TV rights in the USA, good news for Sling TV customers on Amazon Fire, as well as details about the biggest club match uh, probably in the US um, this summer and much, much more. Kartik Krishnaya is my co-host. Kartik, how are you? I'm doing quite well, Chris. How about you? Good, good. It's been a long time since we've seen each other. Oh. <laughs> it's been li- literally uh, like maybe just about an hour. Uh, both Kartik and I uh, today were at the Sportel conference in Miami, and we'll get more into that in a little bit in terms of uh, some of the findings and what we uh, what we learned there. But it's been a busy week for uh, our industry. The funny thing, Kartik, is when we started this podcast, this kind of new 2.0 or 3.0 version of this one back in, I think it was October, uh, sometimes I thought, like, well, would we have enough news each week to kind of uh, to talk about? And what's happened, I don't know about you, Kartik, but we have so much news that sometimes it's hard to cram it all in in each episode. Yeah, that's certainly been the case, and, and uh, in some cases, the episodes have gone lo- uh, much longer than our old weekly review podcast did, because there's so much TV and broadcast and streaming news. Which, which is hard to believe, though, too, because some of those older versions, which are great and had some great analysis, uh, went pretty long, or seemed to go pretty long, and, and these seem to go a little bit longer than that sometimes, too. But we try to pack it in with all the information and news. And uh, we're going to start off with uh, what we've been watching uh, this past week. And um, on my side, Kartik, there was lots of highs and lows. So I'll go through the lows first. Um, and there was a c- couple of highs. But some of the lows I saw, I mean, this past weekend was a strange weekend for me because I, I was basically channel surfing, just trying to find a really exciting game to watch. So I started out, I think, on Saturday morning watching Hull against Swansea. Uh, of course, this was uh, an FA Cup weekend with the quarterfinals and uh, not a lot of Premier League matches, but obviously I watched Swansea. Um, it was a really, really dull match. And um, this one was, um, if I wasn't a Swansea City supporter, I wouldn't have watched it. But uh, a very dull and very disappointing result. Uh, from there, uh, I tuned into Arsenal against Lincoln in the FA Cup and watched about 15 minutes of the second half of this match, but I turned it off after Arsenal scored the third goal, so I was kind of very disappointed in that one in terms of thinking that it'd be at least be more competitive. 
Then I switched to, um, for the first time in months, I watched Gold TV and I watched uh, Palmeiras against Sao Paulo uh, in the Sao Paulo derby. And I watched, I think, the, the maybe the first 20 minutes. But the uh, the style of play, Kartik, it's been a while since I've watched Brazilian soccer, but it's very slow tempo, uh, very sleepy. Uh, the, base, the players were basically walking around the pitch. And for a Saturday afternoon when I'm kind of trying to find something really exciting, uh, it was a bit of a snoozer. Then on Sunday, um, I think with a time change, I forgot about the Celtic against Rangers match. And I watched the last five minutes of it on FS1 uh, with commentary by Ian Crocker. Um, that was entertaining, but it was, just, it was just five minutes. Then I switched to Spurs against Millwall in the FA Cup. And I don't know about you, Kartik, but Millwall was absolutely terrible. And this was a match that within the first five or ten minutes, you could see that Spurs were going to uh, win this one by a large margin. Um, I watched the first 40 minutes until Spurs went 2-0 up. And at that point, I switched the game off. So, so far, then, in contact, then I tuned into Schalke against Augsburg, uh, on Sunday. This one was featuring Derek Ray, and I thought, okay, this is gonna be a good game. Here we, here we go. And that was another flat game, just, uh, very one-sided. Uh, it was all Schalke, but very slow and methodical. Uh, then I switched over to, uh, Deportivo against Barcelona. Uh, this one was a little bit different in that it was Phil Shane and Thomas Rongen for a change. Um, Ray Hudson is in England, uh, seen his, his father who's 98, old, 98 years old. And uh, this one, I, I had to watch just a few minutes of it because I had to run to take, I think, uh, one of my kids to a soccer game. And then last but not least, Kartik, the one match I would say for this entire weekend, all the way through till Sunday, the one that blew me away, that was my favorite match of the whole entire weekend, of a pretty boring weekend as far as football goes, was Minnesota against Atlanta. And for me, Kartik, this was my favorite match of the week, um, not just because of the pure spectacle of watching this game in the snow and seeing the orange ball that brought, up, brought back a lot of memories of kind of watching football in the 70s or 80s played in the snow, but I, I thought that even with the conditions that they were, both teams, I mean, Atlanta better, but both teams tried to play the ball on the ground, passing the ball around. It wasn't kind of hoofing it down the field because it was snowing. But this one, for me, was by far the most entertaining match I watched all weekend. How about you, Kartik? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that match. I felt like uh, we saw a lot of Atlanta's potential in the first half against the New York Red Bulls the previous week at Bobby Dodd Stadium. Uh, they were really able to use, and perhaps it's it's the cooler atmosphere, the fact that maybe uh, it's easier to move the ball around on a pitch that's uh, covered with snow, uh, perhaps. I mean, you, you could argue it, it, it's quite the opposite, but they were able to uh, to really uh, do a lot with their possession, and uh, the last 15 or 20 minutes of the uh, first half, you saw a lot of control uh, of the ball by Minnesota, Minnesota's midfield, maybe not creating as many scoring chances as they should have with, with the amount of possession they had, but uh, their three-man midfield really uh, putting their foot on the game. But at that point, Atlanta's ability to counterattack and break uh, that uh, when they were playing without the ball was quite impressive too. So they, they can do both. They can keep the ball well, and um, they can move without the ball. And that's what Tata Martino wants. I think that's ultimately what he wanted in Barcelona. Uh, just in Barcelona, they weren't necessarily patient with him getting away from Tiki Taka and, and, get, and moving towards a more pragmatic style of play. But I, I think in MLS, it's certainly going to work. 
I would say, Kartik, that this uh, performance by Atlanta, it was one of the best performances I've seen by a brand new team in the league. Uh, they're, they're sensational. They're a really, really good football team to watch. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think there have been very high expectations for Atlanta coming into the season from a lot of people because they had, uh, they have professionalized their operation in a way that I think very few, um, others had. So, uh, in, in major league soccer, going outside the MLS pool to find talent, uh, working on player personnel and scouting for a year and a half to two years out, putting together an academy and, and finding homegrown players. Uh, now they have a lot of lead time, a lot of build up time to do that, but you could argue they were at a disadvantage. Minnesota is a promoted team. They're a team that has come from NASL. They played at the second division level for the last uh, half dozen years and uh, have had a built-in coaching staff, had a built-in technical director, had a built-in, uh, although they brought a new coach in, in Adrian Heath, but a, a, a built-in front office. Uh, yet Atlanta sees miles ahead of them, at least in, in from a soccer standpoint, as far as building really a, a, an impressive club culture. Then on Monday, I watched the uh, Chelsea against Manchester United uh, FA Cup quarterfinal. For me, Kartik, this one felt like a Premier League match, uh, not an FA Cup game. I mean, both teams fielded uh, full full squads, and uh, it was kind of testament to the quality of play that we saw on the pitch. It was really, it felt to me almost like an FA Cup final. I mean, two teams going at it, uh, really no weaknesses in terms of the squad. Of course, Zlatan was out due to the, uh, the his bookings. But um, but yeah, a really good cup match, and, and, and to me, it, it just showed um, how good this Chelsea side is um, in terms of not only just scoring the goal and winning the game, but even three quarters through the match, just keeping possession, um, playing like they've done in, in recent matches, where they're just keeping a hold of, of the ball, passing it around, and just eating up the the clock. Uh, this is a Chelsea team that's um, it's a shame that that they're not in the Champions League right now, Kartik. Yeah, I didn't get to see this game uh, as I was uh, traveling down the state of Florida during the match, but uh, it, that would be music to the ears of a lot of Premier League fans because it, it's become pretty obvious that uh, English teams are having a more and more difficult time competing in Europe. Uh, from 2005 to 2009, English clubs dominated the Champions League uh, in spite of the fact that the, uh, the Champions League title was won in 2007 and 2000. Nine by non-English teams. Uh, during that period, uh, England put three of four teams in the semifinals most seasons and had a team in the final every single year. And since then, uh, England has had a hard time competing. Uh, I'll give you this stat. Uh, we've seen four English clubs make the quarterfinals of the Champions League in the last five years. We've seen six French clubs and uh, nine uh, uh, German clubs, or I shouldn't say clubs, but appearances. You've got, um, you've got appearances by... Uh, uh, by German teams nine times in the quarterfinals in the last five years. Now, obviously, Bayern has made it all five years, but that means there have been four other appearances by German clubs in that period. And uh, the same can be said for France, where uh, obviously PSG made it four of those five years. You've had Monaco make it twice. And English clubs have had a hard time competing in the Champions League. Now, there are various uh, excuses for this. I mean, I, and I find them to be excuses because some of the same people would tell me when I would say favorable things about other leagues in Europe in the 2005 to 2009 time period. Oh, look at the European results. Those leagues aren't very good. Now it's, oh, well, the Premier League is so hyper competitive and those teams don't have to worry about league play. That's why, uh, that's why every Spanish team is advancing in, in Europa League and, and, uh, <laughs> 
and Champions League. I mean, it's just illogical to me. I mean, the Spanish teams keep winning in, in both competitions, yet somehow the Premier League is stronger to these people who make these arguments. But my point is, if Chelsea is playing that way, uh, it would probably be major music to the ears of English football proponents because uh, England does not have a team that can compete in Europe. Let's just be perfectly honest about it. They don't have a team that's uh, a single team that's built the right way other than perhaps Chelsea to compete uh, in European competitions. So at a high level, I mean, I'm not just talking about getting out of groups, but, but be a threat to win a competition. So um, that's, that's great to hear. And, and uh, at the FA Cup is a good audition for them for Champions League next year. So speaking of the Champions League, uh, the one game I haven't mentioned yet, there were many, but uh, earlier this week, and actually actually we recorded early last week on the Wednesday, and uh, we didn't get to talk about the Barcelona against PSG match, but holy cow, I mean, what a game, first of all, Kartik, from, from the entertainment value perspective, but lots of questionable refereeing decisions, uh, but should we be surprised at all? Yeah, I think... Um the way I look at things from uh, the way this thing went was that PSG played with a lot of fear in their eyes. They played you know, with uh, a mentality that they very well could lose this game at the new Camp. And uh, I, I think the first half they were arrogant, and then after that they were, they were frightened, they were scared. Uh, that having been said, I mean, there, there's a consistent pattern of... Uh, of, and I, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's intentional, it's deliberate, but there's a, there's a consistent pattern going back to the semifinal in 2009, uh, when, uh, Overboo was the, uh, official against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge of Barcelona getting calls at critical times in important knockout stage matches. There was that match, uh, in 2009. There was the second leg at the new camp in 2010 against Inter, where Inter still won, but you had the early sending off and, and Jose forced to play with 10 men. Uh, the, the rest of the way. Then Jose, of course, goes to, uh, to Real Madrid and talks about, well, I'm training with nine men because Barcelona will get all these calls because they had just gotten a call in the quarter, in the round of 16 that year. One of the most inexplicable calls you'll ever see, which was, um, uh, Robin Van Persie getting a second yellow for kicking the ball when the crowd is going crazy and he can't hear after the whistle had blown. Uh, Arsenal were in control of the time. Many people forget at that point. And, and really, I think the, 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 the absolute downfall of Arsene Wenger may be traced to that moment. Because if, if Arsenal gets through that tie, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if the chain of events over the last six years take place that have left Wenger vulnerable and, and, and close to retirement or close to termination. And then uh, subsequently calls against Manchester City a couple of years that were very controversial. And now this PSG game where they got, I think, two very soft penalties and PSG had two very clear penalties not called. Uh, Draxler taken down. Uh, I think that that was, uh, um, was pretty obvious. Was it Draxler taken down? Or, well, there were two very obvious penalties, one of which was in the ninth minute of the game. Yeah, okay? Right. And I think, that, I think it's done at that point, and PSG gets a goal that early. So um, it was an amazing comeback. It was uh, disappointing from the PSG perspective to see them wilt again in Champions League and to see the fear in the eyes of their players. But uh, I have to say, I, it leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth because I, I don't think Barcelona, for, for how remarkable that was, I don't think uh, they, they, they get back and win this, this tie without the help of the officials. And I think there's too little being talked about the fact that PSG did beat them 4-0 uh, back in Paris and the, the achievement that that was without any controversial calls. Now it's asked if that never happened uh, in the narrative that has followed this game. So um, it's, I think it's a bit unfortunate. 
Yeah, Neymar's uh, dive was uh, unforgivable. I mean, it, it just goes to show how difficult it is to be a referee, though, too, in terms of looking at that and, and seeing how, again, he's anticipating the foul and, and, and essentially throws his body to make contact with a PSG defender and gets a penalty. And it, it's just so difficult. And, and, and that's even with, what, three or four different uh, TV replays, slow-mo, different angles. I mean, that's the only way we can really clearly see that that uh, shouldn't have been a penalty. But, of course, the referees don't have that technology and they don't have that uh, ability to, to do that. And they have to make the, the live call. So I can easily see how the referee would have awarded a penalty in that one instance there. But um, fair play to Barcelona, I guess, in terms of understanding the rules and playing within the rules of the game and just trying to eke out as best as they can to get the win, which it was a fantastic experience to watch it. Just had a little bit of a bit of taste in my mouth in terms of uh, the officiating, but still, <laughs> what an incredible match. I will say, though, Kartik, that um, I've been impressed by Fox's coverage of the Champions League. Um, one of the things that stood out from the... For me, in this match, was I don't th- I don't, don't remember if it's halftime or post match, but it was Brad Friedel, which uh, and he, he's growing on me in terms of uh, his studio analysis. And the part that uh, that stood out for me was uh, Friedel standing his ground during a discussion, uh, again either post match or halftime, and telling Lalas, "Can you let me finish?" during discussion on air because every time that um, Friedel was trying to make a comment. Lalas kept on stepping on over him and, and just interrupting him. And, uh, I mean, fair play to Friedel for standing his ground and uh, trying to get the message across. Let me just finish so I can share my thought. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've been impressed by uh, some of the, the moments here and there from Fox. And in, in a way, it's kind of ironic in terms of the, the losing the Champions League coverage uh, next season. But maybe they're starting to find their feet finally. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I found... And I guess we're kind of high in in a in a um, in an odd way doing my my week in review also as we're, as we're talking through this. But I found it a little bit odd that Friedel was then paired with uh, John Strong for both the MLS and the Champions League telecast this week. He had previously done Champions League with Stu Holden, and I thought quite did, did quite well. And then Alexi Lawless, who I mentioned, I thought was pretty very good on Friday, not very good on Sunday last week. Uh, did two two broadcasts, and then they brought Friedel in this week for the Galaxy Portland game. I um I think he he did really well on, on that game and on the uh, the Champions League games. I'm just a little surprised that they're not keeping John Strong with a consistent partner or at least a consistent partner on uh, broadcasts for each uh, each property. I, I understand Champions League they they want to bring Wallace back into the studio and have him part of that that studio team with with Winalda and, and Barton, but. Uh, why they, uh, they're rotating Holden and Friedel there and then rotating, uh, Friedel and, um, Lawless, uh, a, on MLS. Maybe they, they have so much talent now and they're auditioning for the World Cup. Uh, they're auditioning for Confed Cup. They're auditioning for Gold Cup that they need to, they need to get all their, their studio analyst touches, so to speak. It's like getting all your midfielders touches on the ball. Um, but um, John Strong is excellent regardless of who he works with. So uh, I think he brings the best out in, in Holden and in Friedel and Wallace. So um, maybe it's a good thing, but I, I just find it a little bit odd. But I have no criticism of Friedel's work. I thought he was excellent in, in both MLS and Champions League this week. One of the things, Kartik, uh, you and I were talking off air um, in the car, I think this morning, going to Sportel, the conference is that uh, I think the discussion that Fox Sports had about defending 
uh, particularly in, in regards to Italian soccer and kind of the history around tactics and uh, analytics um, and analysis. Do, do, can you share to um, sh share those thoughts? Yeah, I thought Alexi Lawless, I mean, obviously he's a guy that knows Italian soccer well. He played there. He played in Serie A and he knows the football culture around Italy. Uh, he talked about this subject of analytics and performance measurement and uh, uh, figuring out formations and tactics that is related to the analytics being a new science. Now, of course, Lawless likes to take shots at England. We know that. But being a new science in England and, and these places, uh, but that it's something the Italians have been doing since the 1960s, uh, measuring player performance. They, they may not have had all the scientific uh, measurements and, and all of the uh, instruments to do so, but that a lot of Italian tactics and a lot of Italian the brilliance of Saatchi and, and Catanaccio and all these different Italian concepts were based on the same sort of thinking, analytical thinking, and thinking about how player performance and player movement affected tactics as what we're doing now with uh, computerized models and such. And, and I thought it was real interesting because he, he said these are, these are essentially um, old concepts in Italy. Uh, maybe the instrumentation is new, but... Again, he was making the case that he thinks that world football uh, as a whole now has, has grown because of uh, the Italian mind. And uh, it, part of it was a discussion. And I, and I think, honestly, Fox is scheduled to have this discussion because of Claudio Ranieri and Lester. Right. But because it was before the Lester game, but they were talking about, Rob Stone brought it in talking about all the big Italian managers and Conte and, 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 and et cetera, and Ancelotti, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's where Lawless took the discussion, which I thought was fascinating. I thought was a great point and, quite frankly, learned a lot. I had never thought about that. And it's uh, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but more often than not, when analysts say something that's uh, uh, in the studio, I, I'll say even – Kyle Martino, who makes the best points and makes a great point every every show he's on NBC, I'll, think, I'll say, you know, I could have thought of that. And Wallace makes this point, and I thought, you know, I never would have thought of that. That was really good. Yeah, and it's one of those topics that uh, you would expect almost NBC Sports uh, to be covering if they were doing the Champions League. And, and fair play to Fox, too. I mean, it'd be great to hear these type of discussions or these type of kind of deeper uh, analysis or thoughts um, during pregame of, of Champions League. I mean, that, that's a perfect opportunity for it. On, on Wednesday then, Carter, actually on Wednesday I was at uh, Sportel, so I missed um, the pre-match um, pregame analysis on uh, or coverage on uh, for the UEFA, UEFA Champions League. What was, uh, I, I know that they, they had the, uh, the Bruce Arena U.S. men's national team roster announcement, but anything else of, of interest uh, to our listeners? Yeah, I thought Warren Barton was really good in analyzing after the Manchester City loss to, to Monaco how poor Manchester City's defending is. And this is the next defender, of course, uh, giving that analysis. Barton's not always my favorite, but he was really good pre-game and post-game with Manchester City. And kind of the, the, the mistakes tactically, the mistakes in positioning, in reading the game, and made a pretty remarkable comment, which I I happen to agree with, but I know I'll get killed. I'll probably get killed by our listeners for this. He said if Pep Guardiola is the greatest manager in the world, you have to be able to make average players better than average players, good players, great players. And, and Manchester City, he has not been able to do that. And I, and I want to remind people who keep saying, making excuses for Pep, that this club won the title under Roberto Mancini, a manager who's subsequently got fired and then got fired by Inter, and uh, in many minds wasn't a good enough hire for Leicester City when they fired Ranieri, and so they, they didn't hire him. And, and um, 
they, they also won the title under under uh, Pellegrini with very much a similar squad. Now the squad's older, but um, Pellegrini got panned last year for these sorts of performances. And I, I had actually defended Pellegrini at the time, saying, "Look, I think the team has gotten kind of old and tired, and uh, it, it, it very easily could have gone the way of, of United or Chelsea. Or Chelsea's now back, but very easily could have gone that way. And somehow Pellegrini, because he was a players' coach, kept the players on side, and they kept playing for him, and they got it out of fourth place finish. Uh, and um, there doesn't seem to be any revisionism or analysis of that. So I appreciated Bart's comments, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, Manchester City, though, Kartik, I mean, how many times uh, could they have thrown this game away? I mean, in, in both legs, it's just yeah. seemed that, uh, you know, I mean, it, all they needed was just that one goal, or conceding one goal less, or, or, I mean, it just seemed to be so frustrating watching this. And it goes back to, I mean, how many times have we seen City in the Champions League just uh, almost like stabbing themselves in the back? I mean, just hurting themselves in terms of uh, whether it's uh, defending mistakes or... Uh, not not being able to score enough goals. Yeah, I mean, not scoring enough goals is is um, is not really the problem. It's it's the inability to defend. And look, they conceded six goals over two legs, and it very easily could have been do- twice that. Like, Caballero made a couple good saves. He ended up eventually, and this is a an, uh, an indication of a goalkeeper that doesn't trust his back line. He ended up coming off his line more and more as uh, both the, the f- first and second leg wore on because um, um, the, the, the trust I think he had lost in, in his back four in, in both matches and, and in fact made, uh, I think, saves that could have been decisive at the end of the first leg from point-blank range on Falcao uh, and, and obviously saved a penalty also in that leg. And then also uh, late in the game when he came off his line, and I think that was shaping up to be a goal if he had it uh, on, on, a, on a cross, uh, in leg two, yet Manchester City still lost. So uh, it was defensive errors, and that's something we've been seeing uh, quite honestly since uh, uh, since the second half of the 2000 and God, I got to get my dates right here. 14, 15 season. So Pellegrini's second year. These same sort of defensive errors with the same defenders, and um, I would say here in this game, though, it's largely on Pep Guardiola because he had the opportunity to start Yaya Torre alongside Fernandinho in the midfield and kind of try and control that central midfield situation. He didn't. He opted to go with uh, five attacking players. And I think Silva and De Bruyne in this match were very much repetitive. I I like what Sterling and Sané brought, and I thought they both had very good games. They might have been the only two City players to have good games, Sterling and Sané, uh, besides Caballero. Uh, it's hard to say a, a good keeper had a good game when he gave up three goals, but still. Uh, but Aguero uh, didn't get any touches. He didn't really tuck back. He was responsible for the first goal with his sloppy defending. And City got overrun in the midfield. And Pep uh, never made that adjustment. He never made that change. When he falls behind by two goals, his response is to bring Iannaccio, another striker on, not stabilize the midfield, which to me was very... Um, disappointing for a guy who's supposed to be the, the greatest tactical manager on the planet and never then brought any other subs on after he brought Iannaccio on. He didn't bring Jesus Navas on who, with his pace against a clearly tiring side, may have made a difference. We know he doesn't like Navas. We know Navas isn't a particularly good crosser of the ball, but he, he has bags of pace. Or bring Torre on. So, um, I think it was mismanagement that cost City the, the tie. And, and people don't want to hear that because they, they annoyed Pep Guardiola as uh, this genius. But um, he's having a, a rough go of it this season, quite frankly. 
we've seen this too, Kartik, for many, many years now too, in terms of just poor defending from Premier League teams in Europe and just getting exposed. It's not just City, but you go down the list. I mean, Arsenal, Manchester United. I mean, it just uh, seems to be a, a weakness throughout the league. So, so before we move on, Kartik, to the next segment, I do want to mention uh, a shout out to our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be very uh, complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team uh, in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. And I can be anywhere, basically, and, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find tickets. SeatGeek is designed to help make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find uh, great deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, uh, we've got a special offer for, for you. So listeners to World Soccer Talk get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your rebate uh, of $20 on your tickets, uh, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and then click on add a promo code. Enter promo code WSTPOD, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Now, Kartik, moving on to the next segment, segment two, and that's our streaming news and also TV news. Uh, the first big news is that we talked about this in the last episode. We knew that something was coming. We, we weren't sure if it was going to be Twitter or if it was going to be Facebook. But MLS is uh, is now on Facebook Live. And actually, I think the first game, I believe, is this weekend. But uh, MLS taking a page from uh, Liga MX and Univision Deportes and uh, will be showing games selectively, uh, usually one a weekend on Facebook Live. How big of a deal is this, Kartik? Uh, it's a big deal, although, I mean, one of the things uh, you and I heard around Sportel this week is that there's some concern about the uh, the designation of this as social media because it is really streaming, and it cuts into uh, the streaming potential for uh, partners of these leagues, now Liga MX in particular, because I think MLS, it's only uh, under uh, hurting their bottom line, which is MLS Live, right, and their sales of MLS Live. Although I have to say they've been very aggressive in promoting MLS Live on ESPN and ESPN FC programs this season. So uh, they've been pushing that content. I was a little bit surprised by this, but I, I guess it's good news for the consumer. Uh, that having been said, uh, we'll have to see how uh, networks and, and those who do stream games react to this these developments because it seems like uh, uh, Liga MX and, and MLS are the first, but we're going to see more of this. Yeah, and it's great news for MLS in terms of trying to get their product, um, so to speak, into more homes in the United States uh, to have soccer fans watch an MLS game, either by chance just coming across it or uh, watching it there for free. Um, it should help MLS in terms of hopefully increasing their reach and exposure. Now, Kartik, uh, some news you shared with me, I think, earlier this week, and uh, I'm not as, as familiar with this, but there's a... Uh, uh, let me have you tell uh, the listeners uh, what, what the, the news is. Yeah, so um, the American Sports Network, which does, uh, which is based in West Palm Beach, in, in your neck of the woods, Chris, and uh, actually uh, broadcasts games from in studio, 
and has had some involvement with Real Salt Lake and DC United in producing games for them and shipping games to affiliates. Uh, in uh, and for DC, particularly in Baltimore and Roanoke and Richmond, the surrounding areas that aren't directly in the Washington uh, television market, there's been um, uh, uh, now some concern as to what happens to those games because um, ASN will reportedly cease operations at the end of uh, this month, at the end of March. So, uh, and that would also, as I mentioned, uh, affect Real Salt Lake and some of their uh, production and broadcast. So, th- from a, uh, it's mostly a college sports issue. It's mostly an issue for smaller co- uh, conferences and, and really their college basketball packages. But uh, it does potentially impact Major League Soccer. Now, speaking of uh, TV networks, uh, some big news actually that uh, World Soccer Talk broke last week on the website, and that's about One World Sports. So um, one of our writers, um, Ed uh, Perovich, noticed that last weekend uh, One World Sports uh, changed overnight and became 11 sports. So we wrote the story uh, in terms of uh, what looked like a potential takeover of One World Sports, and One World Sports, for those who may not uh, remember, I mean, they have Arsenal TV. They used to have the uh, AFC Champions League from Asia. Uh, they also have Bayern Munich TV, Chelsea TV, uh, Darts, Cricket, um, Cosmos, of course. I mean, I mean, lots of different properties. So we found out that uh, 11 sports who are based in the UK have offices in London, but also have offices throughout the world, including Asia, had uh, taken over One World Sports. And what we found out just minutes ago, it's official now, uh, almost a week later, but 11 Sports, what they've done is they've acquired the distribution of um, some of the rights that One World Sports has. So they didn't acquire the company, but they did acquire um, the rights and then have been able to take the One World Sports signal and then uh, change that over to 11 Sports. Um, at Sportel Conference this, this week, actually just yesterday, I met with a representative there, and uh, in terms of their strategy, it looks like it's going to be focusing at least initially more on uh, niche sports. So we might be able to see whether it's college soccer or soccer that uh, from different parts of the globe that usually isn't covered in the U.S., or even soccer at a youth level, uh, as well as lacrosse um, and other sports. That's the way they're looking at, at focusing. The big focus really for them is, is live sports. That's what they want to focus on. And um, what may become a niche player in the sports industry in the U.S., um, maybe that will grow over time. But that's, that's their focus now. And uh, what it means in terms of the Cosmos is that I don't believe the Cosmos are going to be on 11 sports. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see in terms of the NESL TV announcement and the schedule of that. But uh, I wouldn't expect to see Cosmos games on what was One World Sports, but is now 11 Sports. So, so there you go. So uh, there's the uh, the latest details about about that. Right, and I think it, it goes beyond that for, uh, because the, the last two seasons, uh, uh, One World Sports showed oftentimes a midweek uh, at NASL game nationally, which did not include the Cosmos, and uh, produced a weekly highlight show, which uh, I think those bumper programs are critical to growing the the profile of a league. In fact, when I worked at the NASL, I was the original communications director of that league, actually, for those who don't know that, listen, I had advocated uh, putting a highlight show on Gold TV before we showed live games, which is what we did, because I felt like that was the only way you could build the profile for a second division with uh, teams that are largely... Uh, anonymous and, uh, and and just not well known. So uh, that's a that's a loss for NASL. 
And Kartik, uh, any news from the two Robbies? Yeah, so Robbie Earl uh, kind of st stuck up in my inbox on me, uh, completely unrelated to broadcasting. Robbie Earl has been named the technical director for AYSO, which is, uh, yeah, I think, a really uh, neat thing. And uh, for me, I believe a uh, an opportunity to uh, to see Robbie Earl maybe expand his his technical thoughts in, in how he presents um, himself in, in the studio for NBC. So. Um, it was uh, it was interesting to see that um, he got this job, and we saw a lot of this in the early days when soccer broadcasting was less full time. People doing jobs uh, outside of uh, their broadcast jobs in the game on the technical side or front offices. I remember when Adrian Healy uh, used to double as a broadcaster and also work as the communications director for an A-league team. You know, I've done some of that myself. Uh, but uh, Robbie Musto was a, was an assistant at, at Boston College while he was broadcasting on ESPN for a little bit. And uh, it, it seems to have gotten away from that as broadcasting became more and more full-time. Eric Winalda, of course, the great exception just because he has a hankering to coach and to teach. So coaching the Atlanta Silverbacks in the NASL uh, by day and by night on Fox Soccer or Fox Sports. But um, this is kind of neat, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the tangible results. And, and Chris, uh, you're very familiar with AYSO, more so than me. Uh, you've uh, had uh, family members involved in, in the programs. Yeah, yeah, my wife's uh, a coach. Uh, I was a coach at one point uh, before hanging up my coaching badges. But uh, all of my kids play or have played AYSO, so it's uh, something that's near and dear to my heart. And hopefully um, Robbie can make a... Uh, Quite a positive impression there in terms of uh, from the technical director side and uh, maybe push through some some new initiatives. So Kartik, big news uh, this past week, and that is uh, El Clasico Miami. So what we know so far is July 29th, it's going to be uh, the International Champions Cup. Uh, the first match that they've officially announced, it's going to be Barcelona against Real Madrid in Miami at the Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, which is where the, the Miami Dolphins play. From a TV perspective for International Champions Cup, there are going to be 12 games. Eight of them will be on ESPN, and then four of them on ESPN2. And uh, it's an interesting perspective, or an interesting place in this one, Kartik, because uh, not long ago, the International Champions Cup, in terms of at least TV rights, was something that it was kind of a... Uh, people were kind of passing the baton, not sure who was going to pick it up, I think, as of last year. And uh, so who's the big, big winners on this one and who's the big losers, Kartik? Well, that's, uh, that's, that's a real good question. I think uh, when, when you look at, um, at um, what happened, was, it was that Fox made a decision. Now, Fox had carried the tournament for the first three years of its existence and had done a lot to promote it if you remember, and it actually spent a certain degree of resources on the promotion of the tournament, it really didn't take off as a TV property. And uh, I, I think that we saw some very good attendances in year one, uh, but in year two, other than the big house game, we didn't see a whole lot in, in terms of, of big attendances. And, and I, I've always had this feeling that the American audience is getting more sophisticated about what are essentially uh, meaningless friendlies with uh, teams that are in their, in their preseasons. Uh, but, uh, it seems um, the matchups and the buy-in from getting Barcelona and Real Madrid together and getting Man United and Man City together um, 
that's a little tease, by the way. I'm not going to go any further than that. The, the, the opportunity to do things like that has now given the tournament a second wind, and ESPN got the rights on, it, on the cheap. And ESPN isn't involved in any other club soccer as, uh, other than MLS right now. They do have, obviously, the rights to Copa del Rey and to the German Cup, but um, those are cup competitions. They don't have any other leagues, uh, so to speak. But this is, um, this is a good thing to kind of keep ESPN in the game. And um, I think there's going to be so much curiosity over the Super Classico, uh, this El Classico being held in uh, um in uh, in Miami, it being held on U.S. soil, it's not whether it's Miami or it's Austin, Texas, or Minneapolis, wherever, Omaha, Nebraska. The, the fact that this match is being held outside of Spain, I think, is going to create such a um, a demand, at least for one game, that they're going to get a really good rating. And it is uh, what what night of the week is it, uh, Chris? It's a Saturday. Saturday. It's Saturday night. Yeah, July 29th, I think, at seven thirty kickoff. I would say, Kartik, without any shadow of a doubt, that this is going to be the most highly anticipated club soccer game on U.S. soil ever. Not not the biggest in terms of attendance, but the most highly anticipated. Um, there's a few reasons. Well, it would be the biggest in terms of attendance that they played in in, in the biggest stadium. Oh yeah. Because I I mean they could sell tickets, they could print tickets uh, from now until the cows come home, so to speak, oh, sure. for this game itself. Yeah, but but, but in terms of uh, the demand for tickets, it's at, it's been absolutely incredible in terms of what I've seen even from my own website from World Soccer Talk is uh, the amount of people that are asking information about pre-sale uh, ticket codes and how can they get tickets. Uh, the demand is, I've never seen anything like this for a game of soccer in the United States other than, of course, a World Cup in 94. But the prices, though, Kartik, I mean, they go on sale officially, I believe, this weekend. But uh, the prices, it starts at $180. Uh, the decent seats there are roughly $700, and they go up from there, too. So, I mean, in terms of price, I mean, it's like really scandalous pricing in, in, uh, in my regard. But... Um, but it's, it's going to be a huge demand, and, and, and this is going to sell out even at those high ticket prices. And I, I would also point out that we've never had a game between two big European clubs in prime time on a major American network on a Saturday. Okay, okay. We've had these games uh, that have been shown on NBC in the middle of the day uh, from the Premier League. We've had games of the Ross Real Madrid played Barcelona on a network other than Gold TV or PN was in the... Um, was in the Champions League in 2011, but Fox, and, and that was, those were, uh, on Fox Sports Regional Network. So here in Florida, it was on, uh, Fox Sports Florida. But, um, those games were, well, I think maybe one of the likes was on FX, but they were midweek. They were mid-afternoon, midweek. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Fox wasn't able to really go, go, go to town on that, uh, because of the timing of those Champions League games. And they've never, they haven't been in a Champions League final. So, uh, this is going to be, uh, I think, also a test of, uh, of the the interest in the sport because I think everybody's going to watch this game mm-hmm. for curiosity. It's Real Madrid, uh, Barcelona. It's at an accessible time. It's on an accessible channel. It's Messi. It's Ronaldo. It's uh, Benzema. It's Bale. It's uh, it's Neymar, etc. Yeah, and for MLS, I think they're going to be worried about this one to a certain extent, Kartik, because it's just a few days before the MLS All-Star game. Uh, Real Madrid is supposedly going to be playing uh, the All-Star uh, team in Chicago, but just a few days before, and, and all of the, the attention of the world press, especially the U.S. press, is going to be on this game. Uh, I don't know. I think MLS might get lost a little bit uh, in, in the shadow of this one. So, Kartik, let's move on to the next segment, which is TV ratings. And we're going to go through this one pretty quickly. 
Uh, reason being is that uh, the the actual TV ratings have been delayed. So we're going to post all of the, the the TV ratings for this past week on WillSoccerTalk.com on Friday. But the big question last weekend I had, and I actually posted on uh, on Twitter, was whether MLS would be able to come in first place for the most viewed soccer games on US TV for this past weekend. Uh, given that, one, there were no uh, Liga MX games due to the referee strike, and two, there were no big EPL games on because there was the Chelsea-Man United match on the Monday uh, with the FA Cup, but over the Saturday and Sunday uh, with Arsenal and Spurs uh, playing, there really wasn't any really major matches. So a good opportunity for MLS, but here's what we know so far, Kartik. So for Sunday's games, LA Galaxy against Portland on FS1, that had uh, 223,000 viewers. And then for the Minnesota against Atlanta uh, snow game on ESPN2, that had 278,000 uh, viewers for that. So roughly, it's about average for MLS. Disappointing because there's you know, no Liga MX games on, so there's less competition. So you would think that more of the audiences would gravitate to MLS and give them an opportunity and see what what they're made of. What we don't know yet, though, is um, the game on Saturday. There was a game on, I think, Unamas, I think it, it was. So once we get those numbers, we'll share those on the website, as well as the uh, the viewing figures for that Chelsea Man United FA Cup game that was on during um, office hours on, on Monday. And then, Kartik, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, this one's from Anthony Bello, uh, one of our listeners, and he sent this in through email. He says, Hi, Gaffer and Kartik. I have a question about MLS and a comment on last week's featured topic. The question is, with MLS, Univision, Facebook Live games, do I need a Facebook account to watch them? Kartik, do you know the answer to that one? I believe the answer is no. Um but I'm not sure. I, that's what I've been told. Look, I have a Facebook account, so I was able to watch the League MX games uh, uh, on that. But you know, I'm not. I'm not a big Facebook fan. Actually, I prefer Twitter and other means of social media. And I know people who don't have Facebook accounts but are on Twitter all the time. So I, I would love to know the answer to that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's no. I think you can watch the games, and they there's, they incentivize you to sign up for Facebook by by streaming them. Right, and if you go to facebook.com slash Univision Deportes, I believe that takes you to, right to the, their page, and then from there, you'll find out pretty quickly whether or not you can actually watch it or not. You may, you may need to subscribe or sign in or sign up for a free Facebook account. Um, Anthony goes on, Kartik, and says, um, he says, as, of, as for last week's episode with the Premier League's uh, ratings, and we were talking about the, the TV numbers, viewing numbers uh, plateauing, he says, uh, you may have missed three more reasons the ratings are not going up. One, people are cutting the cord. Two, the presidential election and the aftermath have brought down ratings for all sports. Obviously, the Premier League hasn't been uh, immune to that. And then three, teams who've got fans, uh, who got fans when the Premier League was rising in popularity in, in America, such as Aston Villa, Blackburn, Fulham, Newcastle, Reading and Wigan, have been stuck in the championship for years. Maybe fans of those teams uh, have said, I can't watch my team, so what's the point in watching Middlesbrough play Watford? Uh, I might as well do something else. Uh, he says, in America, we are used to watching every single one of our team's games. Heck, uh, USL games are available for free on YouTube, but if your club gets relegated, the only time you can see them play is a handful of occasions on being sports. So maybe a lot of people whose clubs have been out of the league for a while are viewing the Premier League as an 
out of sight, out of mind situation. Karthik, what's your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I agree with that completely. In fact, I, I can attest to several Fulham fans, multiple Fulham fans that are now in that boat and have just uh, begot, have just lost interest in English football because of it, that were Fulham fans. They were able to see their team uh, week in, week out, uh, and they only had one, se- one season in the Premier League in the NBC era, but they had had uh, several in, in, in the era where Fox uh, made it accessible via Fox Soccer Plus. Uh, so you would just pay the 20 bucks a month uh, to, 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 to see, uh, or excuse me, Fox Soccer to go. And then prior to that, Satanta, you would get all the kind of leftover games. And there were actually in that period even games that, that were, that fell to ESPN3 and, and you could see without, uh, but in, as long as you had an ESPN subscription. Now, uh, there are several Fulham fans I know that really lose, losing interest in English football. And I think, uh, there are certainly fans of other clubs that have been down for a while that, uh, uh, maybe I'm not interacting with that feel the same way. And, you know, it's, it's in fact, very possible that uh, if there's an elongated period of time for Aston Villa, which has a decent-sized supporters base in the United States, that that will continue. However, um, Chris, I mean, we're going to get to this in in the next uh, segment, but there are some rumors around the Football League contract and League Cup contract that we heard at Sportel this week. Yeah, definitely. So let's move on to featured topic of the week. Uh, and usually we take a topic and kind of uh, debate it and discuss it on air. This week is going to be a little bit different because we're going to share what we heard and what we learned at the Sportel conference this week in Miami. Now, for those listeners who don't know, uh, usually every two to three years, uh, the Sportel uh, America conference comes to uh, the United States. Usually it's Miami Beach. And uh, we're luckily not uh, too far from there. So what it is, it's a conference that brings together most of the major buyers and sellers of TV and streaming rights from around the world uh, when it comes to sports. So if you're a Fox, Fox Sports, NBC, ESPN, BN Sports, Eleven Sports, you go down the list, chances are you'll be there. And at the same time, you've got the Premier League, Bundesliga, and Major League Soccer, uh, you name it, a lot of these kind of rights holders such as IMG, etc., they're there too. So it's very much a, a networking type of, uh, really it's more of a, a convention rather than a conference. So it, it's bringing together these folks from around the world, uh, descending on, on Miami. Oftentimes it's also for Latin America. So you've got a lot of people from uh, even Brazil, Argentina, etc. And this is a place where deals are done, where negotiations are, are done, where, uh, you mean, whether it's your, the Premier League and you're interested in, uh, discussing selling rights, which at this point you're not, but at least you're kind of laying the groundwork for selling the next cycle of TV rights. And, and so there you are, and, um, you'll meet with different people from around the world that may be interested in learning more about what the Premier League's working on, just as one example. So we're going to go do- down the list, Kartik. Of what I've heard uh, and what I've known, what, what I found out from this conference, as far as media goes, I think we were, I believe, the only soccer sports uh, media organization there. So we were able to get a lot of uh, exclusive and scoops and inside information. Some of it is rumors, uh, and, and I'll, I'll caution uh, you with that. But we're, as far as I know, the only one in the U.S. that was able to be at, at this event and to share you share the information with you, the listeners. So the big news that's come out of Sportel is uh, the Portuguese league, the Primeira Liga. 
And currently, uh, for those uh, Portuguese fans who are you know, sporting or Porto, etc., if you want to watch uh, the Portuguese league, and the, the games are on uh, Fubo exclusively, and then some of the games you'll find now and again on, on Univision de Portes, on a, usually on Sunday mornings uh, occasionally, but most of them are, are with Fubo. For the next season, what we've learned is that Goal TV has acquired the rights to the Portuguese league. Uh, both the English and Spanish rights, and we believe also the Portuguese rights. And for Goal TV, this is big news because uh, for the last few years they've been really, they've they've gotten rid of a lot of the rights that they did, they did have. They've reduced their spending, uh, probably financially. Actually, they're probably in a better uh, position now, even though they're the less relevant. But for Goal TV, this is a big opportunity for them to kind of uh, bounce back and uh, start have subscribers. Hopefully, sign up to Goal TV to watch the Portuguese league. Kartik, any insights on this in terms of maybe how big the Portuguese league is uh, in terms of viewers or at least kind of your thoughts? Yeah, I think that there's a, a lot of Brazilians here in Florida, in the Orlando area and in the Fort Lauderdale, Boca Raton area that, that want to watch the Portuguese league because of the number of Brazilian players, national team players and uh, players that used to play for the Brazilian clubs they support that, uh, that, they want to keep track of. So, and then in general, European football fans who want to see Porto, Sporting, and Benfica, those three clubs. So, I, I think it's a, it's a nice little package for Gold TV. I, I think, uh, though, they're they're still a long way off from being uh, to, from being really relevant. I mean, they they, they would have to uh, either have a way of, of uh, getting rights to Liga MX, and I mean to the first division, not to the Segunda, and and uh, or and, or some other European league to, to uh, work their way back onto cable systems. Because what we found happened a few years ago was that cable systems determined they were not going to carry both BN and uh, Gold TV. And those uh, cable systems that stuck with Gold TV eventually dropped Gold TV and switched to BN because of the demand from uh, customers who said, hey, I'm not able to watch El Clasico anymore. I'm not able to watch Serie A anymore. I, 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 need, I need this channel. Mm -hmm. So um, Gold TV found themselves off most cable systems in this country. Yeah, and also uh, Dish uh, Network, too. They're not on Dish. So hopefully this will give them an opportunity to maybe uh, convince subscribers to even call your local cable or satellite company. Oh, and I, and, I, and I should say that if they're on cable systems, sorry, sorry to cut you off, Chris, but they're on cable systems, they're not in the same tier that you would use to subscribe to get a BN right. or an NBC Sports Network or an FS1, FS2. They are an, another tier, another premium tier. So uh, it, it's very difficult to get Gold TV on television, quite honestly, at this point. Yeah, for, for me, actually, uh, I watch it for Fubo. So I've got both the English and uh, Spanish versions of Gold TV through Fubo. So for me, it's for next season, it's uh, just going to be pretty easy for me to watch the Portuguese teams. Um, but for others, not so much. But anyway, that's a, that's a that's an exclusive to uh, to our listeners there in terms of that big news coming out of the uh, convention at Sportel. Uh, the other thing, uh, I'll go through kind of tournament by tournament, league by league. Uh, what we're hearing is that the championship, the English championship, those rights are up for bidding. Uh, no news yet in terms of uh, who's getting perhaps closer to acquiring those those rights. Uh, right now, it's BN Sports that has has those rights, and and the viewing numbers actually have been increasing for BN Sports, and uh, in many times each week, we're seeing uh, higher ratings for the championship games than some of the lower ratings for the Bundesliga games. Uh, and the Bundesliga is uh, on much 
much more homes in terms of Fox Sports compared to BN Sports. The other news is that uh, the League Cup, so the uh, Capital One Cup, uh, that's up for bidding too. And what I'm hearing is that uh, ESPN is interest, interested. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to get it, but they are interested in the League Cup and, and have been making inquiries uh, to kind of find out uh, what's available and, and uh, what that involves. So potentially you could see the League Cup moving to ESPN. Again, we won't know until the, the bidding ends on that one. And as soon as we find out, we'll be, share, we'll, we'll be sure to share that on, on worldsoccertalk.com. The other, uh, another place, Kartik, that's up for bidding is the FA Cup. And we've talked about this quite a few times on this podcast, uh, but a little bit more insight on this one. Now that the UEFA Champions League rights, now that we've known, we, we know that they've gone to Turner Sports, suddenly the FA Cup becomes more attractive. Because if you're a broadcaster, such as Fox Sports, and you don't have the Champions League rights, now the FA Cup is a lot more attractive because now this is your way, your gateway to continue showing some of the, you know, the Manchester Uniteds or Manchester Cities or Chelsea's on US TV. Uh, for an NBC Sports, I, although it'd be great for them to have the FA Cup, by acquiring the uh, FA Cup, it's probably not going to attract any new subscribers to that channel. It's going to be the, probably the same people that watch the Premier League uh, on NBC, uh, probably the same people that are going to watch the FA Cup on uh on uh, NBC. So it could be uh, attractive to, well, it is going to be attractive to Fox Sports. I know that they're interested in uh, continuing to, uh, to acquire those rights. But at the same time, you never know. There's Turner Sports, which is a new entry into the whole sports soccer uh, landscape. They could be interested. But uh, again, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. I do know that Fox was in Miami on Monday and Tuesday for meetings. So uh, it's quite possible that they may have been speaking to IMG to find out the latest uh, information in terms of uh, the bidding process for the FA Cup. Now, Kartik, La Liga. So um, the scuttlebutt, I mean, we're still a ways off from uh, La Liga bidding rights for the next cycle. I believe it's next year. But there is some concern now that now that Turner Sports has gone in uh, pretty heavy with the UEFA Champions League and has shot a lot of people, a lot of people at uh, Sports Health Conference within the industry were absolutely surprised and shocked that Turner Sports came out of left field and made such a uh, ambitious um, play for the Champions League and uh, paid for them over, over the market price to get it. The concern now is that Turner Sports might be interested uh, in acquiring the, le- uh, the rights to La Liga. And you can just imagine how that would change the landscape. At the same time, there's concerns now whether or not in Sports will be able to hold on to these uh, La Liga rights once they come up for uh, bidding again, and uh, whether or not they've kind of reached the kind of the, the high watermark of how many uh, homes they can get into, get La Liga into, and whether it's an opportunity for La Liga to look uh, bigger in terms of trying to get into more over-the-air homes, such as with you know, Univision as one example, or uh, or it could be you know, could be ABC through ESPN. Maybe, maybe not them. We'll have to wait and see. But there is a lot of discussion about La Liga and whether or not there might be a big change in the next round of bidding. Uh, what's your thoughts on that one, Kartik? Yeah, I, um, I think La Liga is, uh, you know, and we've talked about this last week in our discussion about the Premier League. I think La Liga has just emerged now as, as a, uh, um, as a, uh, an entity that from as far as I'm, um, I'm concerned, 
has the potential to match the Premier League in terms of ratings if it's right on the right chair. Uh, channel in the United States and if it's got the right carrier or the right promotion. Now, BN is limited in, in their bandwidth, but they've been a great partner for La Liga. Uh, where it goes next, I think, is is going to be very interesting, maybe the most interesting rights in this country in, in this next couple of years. One of the underlying themes of this conference, Chris, that you and I heard over, over the week was uh, uh, the surprise at Turner Sports uh, the price they paid for, maybe more surprised about the price they paid for the Champions League than the fact that they got the rights. And uh, a feeling that they're going to keep going, mm-hmm. that they're going to look to continue to acquire soccer properties. Yeah, Kartik, that, that's interesting that you mentioned that too, because um, again, the rumors, and this is not confirmed by any means, but the rumors I'm hearing in terms of the uh, Argentine uh, Primera Division is that Tuna Sports has acquired the rights globally uh, for the league for the next five years, uh, which includes the United States, of course. So that that's a big move. So if they're able to actually acquire the the, the Argentine league with you know Boca Juniors, River Plate, etc., um, and, and at the same time, they we know that they have the UEFA Champions League. Uh, they might be interested in La Liga. Uh, who knows that, who, what else they may be interested in too, or at least inquiring. Uh, that changes the landscape. That that's a new competitor into into the landscape, where I mean that's going to bring up the prices of, of uh, soccer street, uh, TV rights across the board. But uh, yeah, g- going back to La Liga just for a second too. I mean, because when you think about it, when you think of the Barcelona's, Real Madrid's, Atleti's, I mean Sevilla, at the stage two. Um, in terms of if those matches were on over the air, if they were on Univision or something like that, imagine what the view numbers would be for those games. Uh, for those big matchups, they would be far greater than the Premier League, uh, such as the kind of the, the reach and, and uh, popularity, uh, especially Real Madrid and Barcelona, of course. But yeah, I think La Liga is definitely going to be looking at the possibilities there and how do they go to the next level, uh, going with a partner uh, that has over the air access would be a huge move for them. And at the same time, too, maybe Turner Sports, maybe that's something that may be of interest to them, too, in terms of, um, we, we've talked about this on, on the last podcast, too, with um, uh, TNT and TBS and kind of the Turner side of things, as well as, well as digitally. There's some, some big opportunities here for not just the La Liga, but for other leagues, other soccer leagues from around the world that are interested in this U.S. market. All right, Kartik, so where can listeners find you on the Internet? Where can they uh, hit you up with some questions or feedback uh, to you? KKFLA737 is the easiest place to find me on Twitter, and uh, uh, I interact. I generally respond to comments, so uh, have at me there. Okay. And, you, don't uh, like something, you don't like something I say on the podcast, uh, feel free to, to bug me about it. Okay, I will. <laughs> and uh, uh, for, the, for those listeners who want to send us feedback uh, or questions or comments, uh, feel free. We, we love to get uh, feedback, and we will read that out on air for you. Um, email, it's web at worldsoccertalk.com. Twitter is wsoccertalk. And then Facebook is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audio Boom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. Kartik, over to you. 
unless you're in Minnesota and you're freezing during a football match where your team is conceding six goals, you're enjoying your football this week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.